This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? Good morning, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Philip C with Wong Shaoning and Mark Tan. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. And you know, this week has been an incredibly busy week, but we have to start on a more somber note because we've seen some latest news in which I think now they've detected an implosion over the submarine that was basically intended to uh, circumnavigate the Titanic. And unfortunately, news has just come out to say that those who are in the submarine have passed away, those five passengers on board the Titan submersible, according to US Coast Guards. Correct. This was confirmed by the US Coast Guard and they have found debris, five different pieces of debris, uh, consistent with an implosion for the Titan submersible. And apparently the submersible actually exploded not long after it went down into the ocean. So mm. although the, the rescue efforts have been going on for, what, two days because they had something like 70 hours or 80 hours of oxygen, uh, probably there were no survivors even before a certain point. I mean, it didn't unfortunately, there was nothing to rescue. Yeah. That's the point. Of course, questions about the safety of this submersible. Why did these five individuals who have, I would say, honestly, a taste of, for adventure, for expedition, which is in all of us. Uh, yeah. History has been marked by s- expeditions which don't always end successfully, you know, to the Antarctic, to the North Pole, to the South Pole. But definitely there should be questions in terms of the safety of this submersible? There have been some, you know, allegations about the safety and security concerns over Ocean Gate, yeah. I think so even former employees of the company have raised concerns about safety issues with respect to Ocean Gate. I think for me what is startling is while this is very sad news, it is interesting that if you look at media coverage, it has been really intense, yeah, in the past uh, three, four days over this submersible involving five people. And I think when you compare and contrast all the other disasters around the world. It's very interesting how the media find it so interesting, this story, why it's really captivated so many people. As you say, right, two million searches on Google for submarine mis- missing over this specific story. Yeah, and James Cameron even chipping in, you know, the guy yeah. who produced and directed the Titanic. the Titanic. But I think, you know, Philip, to your point about other stories, right? So, you know, last week, you know, the Mediterranean had the worst incident, right, where 750 people on a fishing boat, mostly from Pakistan and Afghanistan, the boat capsized on the way heading to Italy. And, you know, I think until today, there's about 80 confirmed dead, uh, 500 are still missing. And, you know, I think there's only barely 170 people that's been rescued mm-hmm. from this boat. And this doesn't really capture the news or, or the same kind of rescue efforts that's been put in. That's right. A point actually highlighted by former US President Barack Obama. He did actually specifically contrast the media attention on this Titan sub with what you just said, Mark, which is the the possible, well, likely loss of lives of 700 asylum seekers. So I'm going to quote him. He basically say, said, you think about what's happening this week. There's a potential tragedy unfolding with a submarine that is getting, you know, minute-to-minute coverage all around the world. And it's understandable because we all want and pray for those folks to be rescued. But the fact that that got more attention than 700 people who sank is... That's an untenable situation. 
I think this is so interesting, right? Because if you contrast that to, you know, the other story that's also drawing quite a lot of attention, which is this perhaps cage fight between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, you think about all the humanitarian disasters that we are seeing every day and all that, right? But this seems to drive a lot of attention, right? Perhaps it's also light and fun and entertaining because you talk about these two individuals trying to duke it out in the ring, although one would argue that Elon Musk may not have the physical disposition to <laughs> to compete with Mark Zuckerberg. But Sorry, anyway, I, I would put my money on Elon Musk to win a fight with Mark Zuckerberg. Because of his walrus move, is his it? His walrus move. Now, you know, we've heard of the snake move, the tiger move, the crane move. I mean, this is the first time I've heard of the walrus move. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing it if it does appear in my mind actually just thinking about these kind of things I mean it's trivial it's frivolous in my view right when you think about the other bigger issues but there's also levity in these kind of things and I wonder deep down in my heart whether there has been a misinterpretation of this fight per se whether Mm. it was meant to be a proverbial corporate fight as opposed to a physical fight well okay Um, you know two billionaires in a ring I'm trying to imagine it in my head, entertaining. (laughs) But to be fair, Mark Zuckerberg has been already training in mixed martial arts and recently won a jiu-jitsu tournament, so he's really in it. Well, Elon Musk tweeted that he never works out except for picking up my kids and throwing them in the air. So maybe the, but maybe like what you say, Mark, the, the Warrell's move is the secret, secret the sauce The secret here. sauce, right? The secret sauce here. I think what is interesting though is if you think about these personalities and why they tend to do all these extravagant uh you know, actions, right? Just to, I think, bring publicity? Pu- bring publicity into the mix. And you contrast that with the earlier story where you find also these really super wealthy people who are actually uh, intrepid travellers who want to explore different depths, right? It's so interesting how people use their wealth and capitalise and use it for different intentions and purposes, really. But do you think this flight will, fight will really take place? And, uh, and if they did, right, so. if you ask me, they should raise money for charity. To be honest, actually, that's... Because they don't need the money. They don't need whatever prize money, right? They don't need to. Yeah, I think Richard Branson has got into fights before, right? To raise money. And, you know, we have celebrity boxing matches and such, right? So this is, I think, Uh, remember Remember that famous bet between Richard Branson and Tony Fernandez, And then one of them had to end up... um, Wearing a cabin crew uniform. Cabin crew uniform, yes. Um, Well, one of of our colleagues, Shazana, has suggested that Jeff Bezos should join in the fight. Maybe, like, open it up to all the billionaires and have a huge charity event. I think... I think I fully support that and we should just raise money for all the humanitarian, humanitarian needs that are taking place all, right. all around the world. And if we train Jack Ma, it'd be a two-man tag team so they'd be paired together to fight in the cage. By the way, all four billionaires should also contribute to the charity, not just only fighting. <laughs> They've got plenty of money. They can start this ball rolling. Exactly. And, you know, turning our attention to perhaps something a bit more lighter, it's holidays, right? Because according to uh, the Straits Times, President Jokowi is planning to declare a five-day weekend to get Indonesian spending at the end of the month to boost travel and consumption. So he's going to declare Wednesday and Friday as collective lead days around the Hari Raya Haji, excuse me, Hari Raya Haji holiday, which happens next Thursday. So Indonesia is going to get an extended break. Uh, this is going to be applied to civil servants with companies usually following suit. And of course, the stock exchange will also be closed. It's not the first time he's done it, though. And the rationale for that is, hey, everybody, go out and juti juti and also spend your money. That contrasts, I think, with recent news that v- Indonesia has begun curbing uh, visa free visas into Indonesia. So only ASEAN countries now can enter visas. So I wonder whether or not this is going to actually crimp tourism overseas international tourism spent into Indonesia. And I wonder if that's an opportunity for Malaysia then to basically also get 
some of the international dollars as it gets a bit harder to secure visas into Indonesia. Oh, Philip, I thought you were about to say that Malaysia should consider a five-day weekend next week as well. <laughs> well, no, I think we, to have, to be honest, have too many holidays. And I think you have to decide, right, what is really core here. Yeah. Because, you know, to be honest, if you compare and contrast, Malaysia does have quite a few holidays. And, I, I and we do quite, quite a bit there. The holidays are one thing, but the sudden declaration of holidays is what businesses don't like, right? Yeah. It's disruptive. Uh, but fun fact, because if you want to sound clever to all your family, friends and relatives, uh, the country with the most holidays based on Wikipedia is Nepal with 35 days, Myanmar with 32 days, Iran with 26, Sri Lanka 25, and then Malaysia, we have 18 to 20, depending on which lucky state you stay in. <laughs> I think it's a very good point you make just now, Shaoning, that actually it's not about the number of holidays that really reflects how productive you are because if you recall when you were working in, uh, you know investment management right asset management Hong Kong and Japan had plenty of holidays as less well less than us though less than us right yeah, but, but I don't know I get a sense that they are also on holiday quite a bit I know it just feels like that it's just je- we're just jealous <laughs> we're, we're just, just jealous, jealous people. people every time we say that there's a public holiday somewhere we're like why aren't we on vacation too pastures greener on the other side I think so absolutely well in any case all of you here were granted the next two days holiday we call that the weekend I want more than the weekend <laughs> but in any case we're heading into some messages and we'll come back with a look at political recap this week keep it here BFM 89.9 Thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. Just early on, we had a conversation about a whole range of international stories. But this time, let's just turn attention to local stories. And let's focus on scams because are you still getting calls from banks, parcel delivery, income tax? Because a total of 22,000 government retirees have so far fallen victim to scammers involving losses amounting to a whopping 850 million ringgit, according to Deputy Finance Minister Dadusri Ahmad Maslan. So he's asked the authorities to actually continue educating and raising awareness among pensioners to make sure they do not fall victim to fraudsters. And you know, I think these days when you go into your internet banking website, you get all these pop-up screens with all these little trivia questions. And that's actually to help us, you know, uh, understand more all the latest tricks and gimmicks the scammers are doing. Now, this problem is not only just in Malaysia because over down south the border, the Singaporean this week has also uh, reported that scams have cost Singaporeans almost 700 million Sing dollars. Wow. Now, that's, once you do the conversion rate, that's about 2.4 billion ringgit that they've lost. That's been a big topic. I must say, uh, you know, it, it, it's really capturing the attention of many politicians and many ministers, really just re- reminding and asking all of us to be alert to scams because really it attacks everybody, right? It's, you always think it's the domain of, you know, the urban people here in Klang Valley, but I'm sure many of the rural, semi-rural, semi-urban folks also are Everyone gets it. it. I think all of us get it. So, yeah. uh, MCMC of course has come up with some practical tips which I think are very, very useful. Number one, know who you're dealing with. Banks, when they call, usually now they don't even call, to be very, very honest. Uh, seldom. And if they did call asking you to do something, think twice. Mm. Think three times. Think four times, you're under no pressure to give them an answer for anything. You are actually probably, the best thing to do is to say, thank you very much, hang up, and then call the bank yourself. Because the number that you have on your statements, on your credit card, that is the legit Most number. Most legit and reliable one. Yes, and then you can then say, oh, did anyone call me? You can call the, the, you know, the information line, you start from there. So you are the one querying, not allowing someone to query you, right? Yeah. Put, I- put that change the 
change the direction of the conversation. Because yes, maybe the bank is really looking for you, but then you want to find out whether it's a legit call, so call them. Yes. I mean, for me, right, personally, when I hear these stories, right, I do get a chill in my bones simply because of the amounts that are scammed, right? It really is very devastating for someone's life and income when they get scammed. And you know, we all have had dinner table conversations about people who we think would never get scammed, get scammed. Yes, it can happen to anyone. Let's just be honest about these. These scammers are professionals. They really know how to work uh, in terms of getting you feel emotionally, you know, like in a fluster. They put pressure on you and sometimes you make these decisions not very rationally. So there is some empathy involved. But seriously, if someone is cornering you to make a decision very quickly, usually that is a sign for you to stop. Stop what you're doing. Hang up and think about it for a moment. Speak to a good friend, to a family and say, hey, this has happened to me. What should I do? And that personal, that person who was not involved in that conversation will probably give you the rational answer, which is don't do anything. That's a really good point. I like the idea of putting down the phone. And if you're still uncertain, call someone, right? Or someone you trust. What are your thoughts, Mark? Do you share the same sentiment? Correct. These attacks are getting more sophisticated all the time. So I think last year, the, the scammers were able to use the SMS network and hijack your OTPs, which is why Bank Negara recently has told most of the financial institutions stop using OTP as part of your two-factor authentication. Mm. And I think that helps a lot. However, now another method that the scammers are using, they're generate, using algorithms to generate random combination of numbers. For example, like your credit cards and CVCs to start hacking in and making transactions. So this thing is just being stepped up to a whole new different level of sophistication. All right, guys, you know, we all have to stay alert because these scams can be truly devastating to one person's life. And we need to help each other if we see someone also on the verge of being scammed. Let's turn our attention to, of course, the story that's dominating all local headlines, which is the upcoming state elections. And of course, you think, I think this week particularly, we've seen news of dis- dissolution of different state assemblies coming through, paving the way for these really crucial elections elections come early August. I guess what's really interesting is, you know, the whole seat negotiations that have taken place, it seems to have died down. But now what's emerging is potential rifts between different political leaders and parties, right? And party leaders per se. And one, of course, is that perhaps potential rift between Muhyiddin Yassin and Hamza of Bersatu. Correct. So previously, we always had this impression leading up to this week that, you know, PH and AMNO haven't quite really gotten their act together. There's been a lot of salvos fired on both sides. And PN was the one that, you know, we got our whole house in order, right? But it seems like this week, you know, there could be a little rift between Muyidin and Hamza, where the President and Secretary General of Basatu, respectively, has been fueling reports about he being replaced as the opposition leader in parliament. Mm. Well, Muhyiddin has come out to say that's not true because he, spo- he, he made those comments during a press conference after chairing PN's presidential council meeting. So he said that these rumours are being created by parties with no other ways to discredit coalition ahead of the upcoming state elections. So he said, there's no fighting. The rumours were simply made up. Don't believe them. When did Hamza and I fight? All love. It's all flowers in the field, is it? I don't know. There's no love lost in politics, (laughs) is there? (laughs) Well, as we know, now PAS will be contesting the bulk of the 245 seats that Perikatan National will be putting up. I think it's been noted that PN will be contesting all seats. So PAS really gets a lion's share in nearly more than half of those seats, followed by Brasartu, which is 83, and Garakan is 36 seats. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic also, that really PAS seems to be in the driving seat here with respect to the allocations coming through, perhaps also due to the nature of the states also that are being run here. Correct. And, you know, Mujidin has also confirmed that all PN candidates in Kelantan and Trungano will contest under the past logo. So 
the green and white banner be flying very strongly on the East Coast side. Yeah, so let's look at this. Uh, Bersatu will field 64 candidates in non-incumbent seats, pass in 50 out of the 126 seats, while Garakan, they don't have any incumbents, by the way, after failing to win any seats in the last 14 general elections. Now, the Selangor Assembly is officially dissolved today, paving the way for state polls to be held. Kelantan, like we say, was yesterday. And you can actually listen to this very interesting conversation that my that Shazana Mokhtar just had not too long ago at 8am after the breakfast grill. She spoke to Ibrahim Sofian, Programme Director at Medeka Centre and Meredith Wise, Professor of Political Science at University of Albany. That podcast will be available later on this morning, probably around 10am. You can find that on our BFM app and also our website. It's going to give you some colour in terms of what to expect. Uh, in the upcoming state elections whether people will actually go back to vote mm. in the first place because we haven't had a case in our history where we've had so many state elections happening separately from general elections. We've had the occasional one or two states that do their own thing but never six states at one go. Yes, correct. Because in the past, state elections were tend to be a barometer and you can say they're relatively isolated cases. But when six are happening at the same time, they begin to paint a relatively interesting national picture about the state and hence why the conversation about this perhaps green wave, whether that's likely to take place. And as you rightly pointed out, right, both of you, Mark and Shawning, that if you look at the representation pass is really dominant here. So it's not a mixture of green or blue or turquoise. It's really clearly pass in the driving seat here fundamentally for the Breakata National Coalition. And actually, we're not even sure whether it's going to be on the same date because the dissolution date's all different and nobody's announced that this is the D-day for each of the state. It'd be nice if it's all coordinated and everybody does it at the same time. Yeah, but I think uh, what's interesting is just the the campaigning, the characters involved, will we see individuals like Nuru Iza, Azmin Ali, mm. you know, uh, even KJ, are they going to run for state elections? Who are they campaigning for? Yeah, who, which party are they going to be campaigning for? But in the meantime, um, Malaysia Kini has come up with a fantastic website. Uh, go and have a look at it. It's entitled State Polls, How Far Can the Green Wave Go? Uh, they've done a lot of work looking at the demographics, trying to do some forecasting in terms of voting trends. Definitely worth a look at. Ooh, we're spending a weekend on because that's all we have from the morning run on WTF. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.